hey, I'm not preaching today, and so we have Ralph Marks. Ralph, if you would come up here. Ralph has preached before. Ralph's been coming to Harvest Reading since launch. I met him probably a month before launch. He found out about us. He drove by one of our signs, and then he contacted me and said, we need to have some breakfast together. So we met at the Mount Penn Diner and then Family Restaurant. Is that what it was? I can't remember where it was. And so uh, we met there, had some great conversation, and he's been coming to Harvest Reading ever since. And so uh, Ralph is one of the elders in process. We're working through some things for eight or nine months with Andy Ortiz, who is over here, if you would raise your hand, Andy, with Don Heinz, who is, uh, Don Heinz is over here, and then Ben Bacon, who is back there. There's the four guys going through an elder process with me, and uh, we'll see if God is saying to them, hey, I want you to be an elder or pastor. It's all the same thing at Harvest Reading. As we get larger, we need to have more pastors, more elders, and so these guys are, are going through that. We have a great time together, don't we? Uh, just kind of hanging out, laughing, crying, beating each other up, but anyway. Amen. So Ralph is one of the hugest blessings in my life, uh, personally, and my wife's, and so isn't Kim. And so he's going to bring the word of God uh, to us. He is a great Bible teacher. And every time he opens scripture, we get fed. And so uh, can we welcome Ralph Marks? Let's give him a Harvest Reading welcome. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much. I want to make sure that uh, Tori, my son, is way in the back there. Can you hear me okay? Okay. That was weak. I thought I might get a bigger response there. He's there with uh, six members of his family. We have Luis and Denise over here that we married them, we sold them houses, we, we have relationship with them, and basically the mother just came here from Cuba, Carinthia. How'd I do? Oh, I messed it up. <laughs> Great to have her here. So when, uh, when you hear a little bit of uh, something going on over there, maybe the phone might have... Uh, because they're translating in Spanish with the phone, so the mother can understand what I'm, what I'm sharing up here. It's so good to be with you, and I think the place I want to begin this morning is just with prayer. So would you bow your head, please, with me? Let's ask God to really work today. Father, we invite you to move among us. You already have. Thank you for the powerful worship, being able to sing your praise. We ask for your manifest presence. We receive the promise of your presence, but we want to see your activity among us. Uh, we want to see your manifest glory. I pray that you would encourage hearts and bring new hope and joy to us today. I pray someone in this congregation today will come to know Jesus. I pray also that someone will begin a new commitment to scriptural meditation and prayer. I also pray, Father, that someone will recognize today their spiritual gift and make it available to the body of Christ. I pray that someone will begin to get victory over some stronghold that exists in their life. And I pray, dear Lord, that someone in our congregation, and I'm sure there's someone here this morning, who for a long time has been wanting to get even, somebody else. I pray that that person will get release from the spirit of revenge and embrace genuine love again. And we know that if any of these things take place today, God, it'll be a work of your grace and can only happen if you move among this group of people today. So make us like pliable clay in the hands of the Holy Spirit today to accomplish what you want to accomplish here. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I just want to say it really is good to be with you. I mean, you, you, you know the story. You probably heard this of the wife that said to her husband, John, time to get up. we got to go to church. <clears throat> John didn't move. <clears throat> Pardon me. The wife uh, went back in again and said, John, you got to really get out of bed now. we got to head to church. John didn't move. Third time the wife came in, he said, John, look, it's time to get up and go to church and do it right now. And he turned around looking and he said, I'm not going today. And the wife said, you have to go. You're the pastor. Now, the reason I say that is because the pastors here, the people who have pastoral ministries here, are so excited to be here because you're here. I mean, you're what makes this church 
what it is. And I want to tell you one of the things that I think about when I come to preach here, and this is the second time for you, I think about the fact because God is so active here and he's doing something in this body here, the thing that I pray is, God, don't let me say something stupid and mess it up. So I feel more of a responsibility when I'm coming here to preach to you than I did in, in a church of 800 and some that I pastored before. So it's exciting to be here, and I just want you to know that. And I also want you to know this, that this message is for me, not just for you. Because when I prepare to preach, here's what happens. I tell my wife this. I said, I, preach my, I prepare myself to preach. I, I prepare myself into a stupor. Now, you think that has something to do with alcohol. But for those of us who are preachers, I mean, we work very hard to get to say something challenging to you. And it challenges us first because there have been times when I have been on my knees weeping about something I'm going to share with my people because I'm under conviction. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Now, I am here because uh, I am a church planner. That's, that's my history. I've been a pastor for 41 years, but probably, I would say, four church plants, uh, the, the one being in Tallahassee, Florida, Lancaster County Bible Church, which is here. And so in my heart is this church planning ministry, and it's just so excited to be part of this as well. And I was at a restaurant some time ago. And I ran into a couple of pastors, and he said, uh, once we meet, met and talked a little bit, he said, uh, could I ask you some questions? We had talked about Harvest. We had talked about his church. And he said, why, what's happening in Harvest? Why are you seeing what you're seeing? Why are you growing? Could you explain that to me? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I could talk about the good preaching, the good music, the great people. But I said, here's what I'm thinking, freedom freedom. To me, that's one of the most critical things in a church, and a lot of churches don't have that. But there is freedom here. We're not putting everybody or anybody in a box. Somebody, in fact, said to me some time ago, you know, I felt God leading me to do a ministry, and I presented it to two other churches, and they shot it down. And I came to Harvest, and they said, go for it. I like that. I traveled all the way from Vancouver, British Columbia, all the way in the West Coast over to uh, northern Pennsylvania. I won't name the church. And I candidated there. They called me. I went. And one of the first things the elders said to me is, we know you're going to be leading worship as well as preaching. And he said, here's what I want you to do. If you sing three choruses, you've got to sing three hymns. Well, that's putting me in a box. How does a worship leader follow the leading of God? We don't tell Scott what to sing. Scott says, what are you preaching on? I'll get the music ready. No, we don't tell Chris what to preach. There's freedom to listen to the Spirit of God, and I think that's, I think that's so important. So, you know, that's the thing here. Uh, freedom to do ministry, freedom to hear the call of God, uh, freedom for God's Spirit to actively be involved in leading us. We don't need an act of Congress to get something done. Well, anyway, I shared that with him. And then the second thing was expectation. You know, one of the things that I like is that there is a spirit of expectation here, very strong. When you come here, you expect to hear from God. You expect to note that God is actively moving among us, and that is wonderful. The third thing was genuine love and caring. I'll tell you what, we feel it. I mean, we're old people, Kim and I. Well, I am. Uh, <laughs> but we feel your love, and, and, and it makes us want to give it back. It's something that's contagious and wonderful, and we appreciate that. And finally, anticipation that God is leading us somewhere. We're not just meeting as a church. God wants to accomplish something. He's leading us somewhere. So really, I want you to know that I'm just very happy here to be a supportive person to Chris and Lisa and all of the leaders that are part of this ministry here. And I, I can identify what they're experiencing since I've been in church planning, been there, done that. So I'm an encourager to them and as many of you as I am able to do that with. Now, did you ever ask yourself, what's going on in the world? Well, you know, almost gets discouraging to read the paper sometimes, but it seems like 
it's one crisis after another. And uh, I just picked this up in the paper. Here, here's a major crisis that's happening. It's called Ask Marilyn. My husband sleeps with his eyes open, and it creeps me out. Is he really asleep? So Marilyn wrote, for Valentine's Day, it was almost Valentine's Day, you should buy him a contoured sleep mask that allows him to keep his eyes open under it. How romantic. It could benefit you both. This is the one that I like, though. Woman embarrassed. You might have read this. I picked this out of the paper. I'm a 25-year-old woman with an embarrassing problem. I blush easily like really easily. In fact, I can feel my, my cheeks getting uh, hot while writing this letter just from thinking about blushing. I've had this problem since I was a kid. I'm light-skinned with reddish hair, so not only am I more prone to face redness, but also it's more noticeable when this happens because my face suddenly matches my hair. The place where it's really a problem is at work. I'm a pretty shy person, so speaking up at work makes me nervous. I try to set those feelings aside, though, and make small talk and jokes with my co-workers from time to time throughout the day. But when I'm about to say something during a meeting, my heart begins to race. And as soon as the words are out of my mouth and everyone is looking at me, I feel my face goes red hot. How can I conquer this? That's not the kind of uh, crisis we're talking about, obviously, right? Uh, we're talking about something else that's going on in our world. Uh, we're talking about things like what happened, was it, uh, was it a week or two ago in Aurora, Illinois, the shooting. We're talking about 18 years ago, the Twin Towers, 9-11. Las Vegas massacre, largest in U.S. history. Columbine school attack. More recently, the Parkland, Florida school shootings. Sandy Hook, where's that? Is that in Connecticut? I think that's in Connecticut. The gay club in Orlando. The uh, Boston Marathon explosion. The Christian school. Was it, was it an Amish school in Lancaster? I can't remember the name of the town. But, you know, those are the things we're talking about. Evil, evil in the world. And in my paper the other day, the whole left side of the paper, I don't ever remember this happening, but the whole left side of the paper was filled almost exclusively with murders, uh, shootings, fentanyl deaths, drug wars, drunk drivers, wife beatings, abusers of children. I'll tell you what, folks, there's a lot of evil in the world. Now, here you are. Into that kind of world, God says to you, in Romans 12, 21, this stark and challenging word that is actually a propel word, get your boots on the ground, yes, and this is what he says. Let's put it up. Can we put it up on the screen? It is up. Wow. I'm not used to that. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Stand up for just a moment, everybody. It's up there. You can look at it in your Bible, but it's up there, and I want you to read it in unison. You ready? Here we go. Say it with me. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, you can be seated. Why did I do that? Called orality. You know, you don't just read the Bible and you think about the words you're reading, but you verbally speak it. And it has a different impact upon your heart. I want you to go away with that message. That, that's significant. You don't have to be overcome by evil. You can overcome evil with good. That's my text for today. You know, you have a couple of options. You can acquiesce. And by that, I mean you can say, look, uh, the Bible says that evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. So, uh, you know, God, uh, help my family, protect me. You can, you can be fearful about that. But uh, what, what you want to do is just pray. God, bless and protect me and my family, us four, no more. No, and then climb in your closet. You don't want to do that. That's acquiescing. Or you can move on the offensive and attack. Uh, Say, God, you put me here to make a difference. I'm going to get my boots on the ground. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to make a difference. 
You know, during the month of January, we had the Propel Focus, and uh, that was uh, that was very special. Chris had very appropriate text and comments about each one of the presentations that were made that day, and uh, it was wonderful. And a lot of you got involved in that. And then this article in the paper the other week features nine women, and two of them are ours. Do you have that? Can you put that up? That should be on the screen up there. There it is. I don't know whether you can see that, but you notice that I was taking some names and uh, highlighting it. Christine Ahrens and Janine Torres, both are part of CASA. That stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates of Abused and Neglected Children. And there it is, and there they are. Gro boots on the ground. Leave that up there for just a moment. That's exciting to see our own people being involved in that kind of effort. That's very significant. And then there was a young man, uh, I usually sit up there, that was singing behind me during the worship uh, a number of Sundays, and I said, wow. I said, that's great. I'm hearing, I'm hearing harmony. And I said, you're really singing high up there. And, and his name is, is Dan Hines. He's going to be traveling. He's going to be singing with recreation. And he's now embarrassed. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. I'm not going to say too much, but he's going out to Port Treverton to train and get ready for this. And it's interesting because he said, you were the only person I ever talked to that knew what Port Treverton was. I said, well, I was born and raised about a half an hour north of Sunbury, you see. So, and I played football in Port Treverton. Remember that because the field was all full of mud. And when we got tackled, we just slide 10 feet down there. Just so much fun, Port Treverton. But I'll tell you what, he's going to grow. He's going to be blessed. He's going to have an experience that's going to enrich his life. And he's going to be able to enrich other lives as well. So in the here and now, uh, we get in the game. We get in the zone. Evil is rampant. And God says uh, through the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to talk about that. And here's the big idea. God wants you to be an overcomer of evil by the way you live your life. And the way you live your life in order to achieve that is spelled out in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. So turn to that. So how can we as a church do that while we're waiting for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ? By the way, I disagree with, uh, with John F. Kennedy who said, our problems are man-made, therefore they may be solved by man. I don't think so. It's going to take the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But you can make a difference while you wait for that wonderful day. All right. Uh, so I'm going to look at this uh, chapter, of the 12th chapter of Romans, through a number of moves. And I w I'm going to think of them as moves instead of points. So move number one is that this whole process of overcoming uh, evil with good begins at the starting point, which is salvation in Christ. That's the starting point. When I first experience in your life, when I first experience in my life, the mercies of God. And I preached on this text, so I won't spend too much time on it, but just to say, that's Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, what's the mercies of God? You have to go back to Romans 1 to 8 to know what that is. So we cited Romans 1.16, which says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. The power, the dynamite, the explosive power of God. So we often, uh, when we're talking to somebody about the Lord, we, we use what's called the Roman road. And that would be a good expression of the mercies of God. So let's run through that real quick. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9 and 10, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. 
Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, right? Romans 8, 31 to 38, I think it is uh, somewhere in that vicinity, says, uh, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Shall tribulation, peril, nakedness, sword, and he lists a number of things. And then he says at the end, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the mercies of God, folks. That's why you can experience the wonderful gift of eternal life. So if I'm going to overcome evil with good, right here is where it starts. The evil in my own heart. I have to come to Christ. I have to repent of my sins. I have to accept his death for me and his work on the cross and receive him by simple faith to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, when you're preaching, you can never assume anything, so I'm going to ask you for a moment just to bow your heads, please. There may be someone here today, and, and you have never personally trusted Christ. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you attend a church, but you've never actually invited Jesus Christ to come in and change your life. If God is drawing you to himself today and preparing your heart, I'd like you to do that now. And I'll just lead you in, in a quiet prayer, which you can say in the quietness of your own heart. And I want you to pray something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need the Savior. And your word tells me that I can repent of my sins and receive by faith Jesus Christ who died on the cross, was buried, and rose again from the dead so that I can receive new life in you. You paid the price to set me free. And Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come and take residence in my heart, in my life. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. I receive it by faith right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you happen to pray that prayer this morning, let us know. Just let us encourage you and help you to know what the next steps are. As many as received him, Christ, to them gave you the power to become sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. That's really move number one. That's the starting point. What's move number two would be in Romans 12. Uh, once you've done that, you're going at some point run into another problem. You are going to discover, you're going to make this discovery, that you have a body. If you hadn't known that yet, I'm in trouble. But you're going to make the discovery that you have a body and that members of that body are sometimes unruly, they sometimes lack self-control, they're disciplined, they're careless. This is not something that I realized immediately very often. It's a delayed uh, realization as it was in my life. I think I told you in Camp Fairhaven, Maine, May of 1961, I asked God to fill me with the Spirit. I dealt with some things about the bodily members being presented to God. You will want to surrender completely your bodily members to God he has given you new life. Now give that new life back to him in total, complete consecration. I think we said when I preached that that means to make a de decisive presentation of your body members to God. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but just to say this, I am amazed at how many Christians, and people have actually said this to me. They have said, hey, I'm saved. I got my ticket to heaven. How I live is really not that important. Isn't that awful? How you live is very important. And uh, with that kind of an attitude, you're never going to make a difference. Who will make a difference in overcoming evil with good? Those who have received Jesus Christ by simple faith and those fully surrendered as per Romans 12.1. Love is surrendered to his will. That's what the psalm says. Move number three. After salvation, 
And after surrender, you're going to understand that there is a battle that's still raging. And it's expressed by the statement, and be not conformed to the world. Right? Be not conformed to the world. We face the challenge of the culture. That's a battle you're going to have to win if you want to make a difference in overcoming evil. And it's a struggle because you're going to have to deal with stuff in your life. Like I have to deal with stuff in my life. Chris has said many times, you, you deal with stuff. You deal with stuff all the time. And uh, I remember him preaching some time ago and talked about strongholds and Really, the pressures of the culture just bring the possibility of strongholds coming in and getting a grip on your life, and then there really is a battle. So we define stronghold. We put it up uh, on the screen here. Look at that. That's great. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable something that we know is contrary to the will of God. That's Ed Silvosa, a Latin American evangelist. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable something God wants changed because it's contrary to the will of God. Now, I don't know what that is for you or me. It's different. I mean, it could be control freak. could be lust. could be porn. could be anger issues. could be abuse of some kind. Whatever it is that you think there is going on in your life that you think can't be changed, that you know God wants changed, and you feel helpless about it. Stronghold. And it's bringing evil into your life when you're supposed to be able to overcome evil with good. So how do you handle that? Well, that would be move number four, because move number four is transformation takes place by the renewing of your mind through God's holy word. Meditation on the scripture. You say, why do you connect that to the stronghold issue and the cultural challenges that we face every day? Here's why. If you just look at Romans 12.1, present your bodies and be not conformed, but be transformed. I taught English Bible and speech at King's Academy in West Palm Beach, Florida, so I had to, I had to teach these kids grammar from grades 8 to 12. This is a grammatical issue here. Present your bodies and be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by meditation on the Word of God. So there is a contrast there. Instead of being sucked in by the world and its ways, instead of being brought into a position where you are prone to strongholds, you get transformed by the renewing of your mind with meditation on the Word of God. Psalm 1, Joshua 1, 8, all that, you know. Psalm 1, 19, 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you, God. So the, the, the world and God's Word are vying for your thought life and your mind. And so God wants you to be an overcomer of evil with good. And if you don't get this, Romans 1, 2, uh, one, one, 12, 1 and 2, under your belt, you're not going to get this victory. So vital, so critical. Move number five. Hey, I only have seven. How am I doing here? Got to keep moving. Move number five, Romans 12, 3. Look at that in your Bible if you have your Bible. I don't know whether I put that on the screen or not, but here it is. Romans 12, 3. And i got to sort of get a little light here. It says this, For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, get this now, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, in the vernacular, oh, by the way, I connect that with verse 16 too. I connect that with verse 16 that says, as soon as I find it, uh, do not be haughty, haughty, uh, but associate with the lowly. I, and then it says, live in harmony with one another. I pastored a church in New Jersey. Actually, it was a Methodist charge, 
while I was going to Princeton Seminary, and uh, one church was called Harmony, and it was about seven miles from the other church, and they were really a church in Harmony. I mean, they just were great to work with. The other church was named Adelphia. Adelphia, of course, you know, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, but there wasn't much love going on in that church. But uh, that's what he says here. Okay, now listen. In the vernacular, what 12.3 is saying, there are no big cheeses among us. No big cheeses. Mm. And this verse is saying you can't claim to be humble and proud of it. And people will say to me, uh, they want to know where I went to school, and of course you have to tell them, and they think I'm smart and I know better. And then I'll often say, look, all that means is I'm educated beyond my intelligence. You know, It means I have to, to pull my book from the shelves. Humility and how I attained it. You can't be humble and proud of it. You'll get that later. Don't think people are beneath you. Learn to play a good second fiddle. What happens when you look into the mirror? in your bathroom, and you think, oh, you're such a cool dude. You're God's gift to the church, you know. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Now, this actually connects with verses 4 to 8. It's going to talk about spiritual gifts because that's one of the places where people sometimes get puffed up. I remember reading or hearing uh, Stephen Olford tell about a young man that came to him, and he was a preacher evangelist, came to him after a service, and the young man was pretty uh, full of pride because of a certain gift he had. He said, Dr. Olford, and just the way he said it, you could tell, he said, Dr. Olford, I have the gift of tongues. What's your gift? Stephen Olford said, oh, I'm so sorry, son. I only have the little insignificant gift of evangelism. See, that was a problem in the Corinthian church, elevating the spectacular gifts, and they became a source of pride and division. By the way, uh, it can happen to husbands, can't it? Do you husbands ever get puffed up about all you do for your wife, and then she puts you down? Just happened to me. I was going out the door. I was going out the door, and uh, she was in the bathroom right over here uh, prepping herself for the day. And before I went out the door, I said, oh, by the way, I said, I got up this morning, I made the bed with you in it. <laughs> I said, I, uh, I came down and made you tea. And I said, then I made you breakfast, and I cleaned up after breakfast, and I, I cleaned up the kitchen, then I went out and cleaned the ice off the car. And then I started the car, and then I warmed up the car for you, and then I came in and went upstairs and brought down the laundry to the basement, and I'm going on and on, and you know, which I'm thinking I'm going to get a good response. This was around Valentine's Day, you know. I'm thinking she's going to say, <laughs> you're such a sweetheart. I love you. She didn't say it. You know what she said? She said, listen, mister, now whenever your wife says that, you have to back up. <laughs> She said, listen, mister, I followed you all the way across the country, all the way across the United States and up into Canada for all these years. Now it's my turn to be home, and you help. So anyway, that's what she said. So don't get too puffed up, guys. That can be a problem. Stay off the pedestal. Paul says, look, just have a serious and sober and honest estimation of yourselves, and then go out and overcome evil with good. Just think of the evil that can come into the church. And those of us who are pastors have probably experienced this from time to time. If you get a church jam-packed with people playing control games and come in with new agendas, you know, move number six. I'm just going to mention this. It's in verses four to eight. Discover and use your spiritual gift. Let me highlight it for you here uh, as soon as I find verse four. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions, so we, though we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I think uh, one of the ways that we overcome evil is we identify how God has equipped us and gifted us for ministry in the body of Christ, and then we provide that gift to the church so that it can be blessed. You see, when you come to Christ and you receive him, and I always have somebody that says, you know, I don't have any gifts. Yes, you do. If you know Christ. When you, Christ came into your life, the Spirit of God gifted you to be a participant in equipping the body so that it can be strong and fruitful. That's such a key. To overcome evil with good, you take your gifts, you make them available to the body of Christ, and you serve that body with your gifts out of humility, not pride. They are never to become a source of pride. Well, we're getting through this. We're in move seven. Um, remember Jay Sidlow Baxter preaching at Moody Bible Institute one time when there were about 400 or 500 pastors there, and he was preaching, and as he was preaching along, right in, in the middle of his message, he stopped, and he looked at us, and he said, are you getting a little tired, with his accent, and we're all sitting there going like this. He said, good, neither am I, and he went on. So move number seven, this can get a little painful because he's going to ask you to develop in your life some character traits that are going to overcome evil with good. By the way, I think the rest of the book of Romans, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, is all an explanation and exposition of the significance of this key text in 1221. So here it is. Let love be genuine. Now, I, boy, I, I tell you what. I mean, I, I, just, I just feel that here. I feel that there's genuine love in this fellowship. And I appreciate it. You know what that does for me? It makes me easier to give it back. It's wonderful. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. You know, you have to be very careful because we're making more and more of an effort to condone what is evil today in our society. It says abhor what is evil. You're going to overcome evil with good. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's a great one, isn't it? Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. If this is a church that grabs these principles and lives them out, these character traits, do you not think that would overcome evil? In many, many cases, yes. So let me just focus on one. It says, let love be genuine. Agape love will overcome evil with good. It was Soren, uh, Soren Kierkegaard who said, to love another person is to help him love God. Isn't that good? Love means relationship. Love means relationship. Love means that when you're with somebody, you're really with somebody. You can listen. You can have a sensitive heart. You can be present with them. Someone asked uh, Albert Schweitzer, if you can put that up, who he thought the greatest person alive in the world is at this moment. And Albert Schweitzer said, he might have been one possible for the honor, but he said the greatest person alive in the world at this moment is some unknown individual in some obscure place who at this hour has gone in love to be with another person in need. Read that again to yourself. Let your love be genuine. Love one another out of a pure heart fervently. Yeah, it's no big G's. There's somebody out there loving, right? and making a difference. 
The end of this is in verses 14 to 20, and I want to share this with you because this is uh, probably the hardest part of anything I have to say today. I want you to look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Anybody have a problem with that here? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. They have to explain that to me later. I'm not sure. <laughs> All right? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, not always possible, but if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Overcome evil with good. And then the next part is the really, really tough part. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Wow. Still with me? Some of the most unforgiving, some of the most mean-spirited, some of the most vengeful people I've ever met, I've met in the church. That is so sad. That is so sad. Steve Brown, who used to be broadcast out of Florida, maybe he still is, I haven't heard him recently, I think he used to be at a Presbyterian church in the Miami area, once said, frankly, he said, Christians are an acquired taste. Personally, I prefer, prefer pagans. You're thinking about that. You ever out driving with your wife and somebody cuts you off on the highway? And, and you make this statement, probably a Christian. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of vengeful people around. And you don't want to be one of them. You want to deal with them. I remember in, in my church in Vancouver, when I was uh, in a congregational meeting, there were about 200 or 250 people uh, there, and, and one of the guys, I was running a congregational meeting, which I don't like to do, but he was way in the back, and he stood up, and he said, Pastor, he said, you aren't doing anything for the seniors in this church. You're doing, no, I think he said, you're not doing a blooming thing, and I'm ticked about it. Okay, how do you respond to that? I didn't respond right. You see, we preachers are vulnerable. Uh, because we were doing something for seniors. But if I had responded right, correctly, imagine how long ago that was and how many times I thought about how I should have responded to that. I should have said to him, you know what, Paul? You know, I really appreciate that because I think we can do better than what we're doing. So how about you meeting me for lunch next week and bring a couple of your senior friends. Let's talk about how we can make this ministry better and more effective so that you really feel good about it. Would that not have been the better way to respond? You know, because that's, you know, one of the things of doing the ministry is I write an article. If I had my ministry to do all over again, here are some things I do differently. You know, <laughs> that's the way it is. Never avenge yourself. I had an elder who uh, was a missionary to Cuba, and uh, he, was, he was there many years of missionary, developed MS, had to come back to Miami, and he was in my church in Hollywood Hills, Florida. One of the most godly men I ever know, uh, know and at the age of 97, two months ago, he passed away in Abbotsford, British Columbia. But one of the things I remember him saying when we were talking is he made this statement. He said, revenge is the sweetest morsel ever cooked in hell. Revenge is the sweetest morsel ever cooked in hell. That's always stuck with me. You know? So we got to wrap it up. And the text says, on the contrary, instead of revenge... 
the text says, on the contrary. Here's what it says. To the contrary, if your, if your enemy is hungry, hit him over the head with a frying pan. Now feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a cup of antifreeze. I don't know. Give him something to drink, right? That is something. And I skipped the last phrase because I don't know what to do with it. It says, for in so doing, I will heap coals of fire on his head. Do you know what that means? I honestly don't know what that means. But I will say this. Uh, I, think, I think somebody said it like this, and I believe this. In the context of love, that heaping burning coals on his head indicates the irresistible power of deliberate, focused love. And actually, loving an enemy will protect you from being spiritually defeated by anger, bitterness, and thirst for revenge. And in some cases, your actions will lead that person to repentance. Oh, I got to tell a, I got to tell a story yet. You guys okay? How are we doing here? Got to go. Got to tell this story. Okay, I'm going to go ahead. Chris can beat me later. Uh, don't be overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. And I was just reading the other week again a story of Tony Campolo in Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, because of the time change, Tony couldn't sleep at night, so he got up and started wandering the streets. Uh, that's about 3.30 a.m. And he's looking for a restaurant to find a coffee and a donut. And he found a little one. And, and, and at 3.30, he said, the door swung open and in walks eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. Small place, the talk was loud and crude, he felt out of place, and he was really ready to leave when one girl said, hey, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm going to be 39. And her friend's response was, so, what do you want me to do? So you have a birthday party, what, you want me to bake a cake, you want to sing happy birthday to you, what do you want from me? She said, I don't want anything from you, why do you have to be so mean and put me down, I'm just saying, it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. Why should you give me a birthday party? Nobody's ever given me a birthday party in my whole life. Tony says, I got an idea. I heard that. I made a decision. And when the girls left, he called Harry over, and he said, uh, hey, do they come in here every night? He said, yeah, just like clockwork. How about the one who sat next to me? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes, because I heard her say, tomorrow's her birthday. What do you say you and I do something about that. What do you think of just throwing her a party right here tomorrow night? And Harry said, man, that's a great idea. I like it. So he called his wife, who was cooking in the back room. She said, this guy wants us to go in and throw a birthday party for Agnes. What do you think? She said, I think that's terrific. That's wonderful. Campolo said, I'll come back about 2.30 in the morning tomorrow with some crepe paper. I'll decorate the place, and I'll even get a birthday cake. Harry said, no, no, no birthday cake. That's my area. I'll take care of the cake. So Campolo was back at 2.20 a.m. to decorate. And he made a sign that said, happy birthday, Agnes. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out because at, uh, at 3.15, it seemed like every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and me, says Campolo. At 3.30, in came Agnes and her friends, and they all screamed, Happy birthday, Agnes! She was stunned, and her eyes most moistened. They got her to blow out the candles, but she would not take her eyes off the cake. Harry said, Cut the cake, Agnes. We all want some cake. And she kept looking at the cake, and she said, Look, Harry, if it's all right with you, I mean, if it's okay, can I... Keep the cake a little while? Harry said, sure you can. Take it home if you like. She said, oh, could I? I live just a couple of doors down, and I'll be right back, honest. So she picked up the cake, carrying it like it was the Holy Grail. Well, there was stunned silence in the place. Tony Campolo said, I didn't know what to do. So he said, what do you say we pray? He thought later, strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning, but it felt right. I prayed for Agnes, he said. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. 
Harry said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What church do you belong to? Tony said, I belong to a church that throws a birthday party for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry said, no, you don't, because if there was a church like that, I'd join it. Tony said, that's the kind of church Jesus came to create. I don't know where we got the other one that's so prim and proper. And he adds, if you read the New Testament, you find that Jesus loved to party with all kinds of left out people, even with the publicans and sinners and lepers and prostitutes. And the highly pious could not relate to what he was about. But those lonely people who usually didn't get invited to the party flocked to him with excitement. Wow. The power of deliberate focused life. So I just ask you, just bow your head for a moment and think about this. I'm just going to pose these questions to you. Want to be an overcomer of evil with good? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know Christ? That's a starting point. And have you come to the place of full surrender? Have you made a decisive presentation of your body to God? And are you committed to win the victory over the world and its strongholds? Are you willing to maintain that victory by consistent meditation on the word of God, knowing that you have the mind of Christ in his word and it's transformative? When you look in the mirror, do you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think? Or is it a sober estimation of who you are? Have you identified and placed your spiritual gifts in helping the body of Christ grow more and be blessed? And is your love genuine? Do I really love people and care about the folks that are left out? And am I growing in these character traits? And finally, how, how obsessed am I to get revenge on those who have wronged me? Am I handling the wrongs done to me in a God-honoring manner? You know, I believe it's likely that every person in this congregation, at one time or another, you have experienced wrongs uh, perpetrated on you by somebody else, and you probably have wronged others yourself. You've got to deal with that, because if you don't, it'll do a lot of harm spiritually. Will I accept that this is my job description in the family of God, Will I allow the principles of Romans 12 to shape me into the kind of person God will use to overcome evil with good? God wants that from you. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, be pleased to help us to accept your job description as your people. Let us never hide behind fear or cower in fear, but propel us out to make a difference in a world that is full of evil in this place where you have placed us and called us in all of the relationships that touch it. Help us, dear Lord, to be an overcomer by faith and help us to live with great sensitivity and dependence upon your spirit, not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. Thank you, Lord your presence, your love, and your work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.